going to start in Esther chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Esther chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Amen. How many brought your Bibles? Like one of you. Amen. God bless. So today, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. It, it's going to be on the screen. It'll be on the screen. So I'm preaching through my new Bible uh, that Sarah got me for Christmas this year. Uh, it, is, it is not a King James. It is a Christian Standard Bible, which is another Bible that I've been reading. Uh, and I, I bought a, a Christian Standard, uh, the He Reads Truth, the Study Bible. And, and I highly recommend that. It's a, it's a good one, really good one. Um, but anyway, so I had been liking that uh, and working through that. So she ended up getting me a, a what I call, this is like a preaching Bible. You know, there are some Bibles that are study Bibles and then others that are that are preaching Bibles. I just, I, I need prayer because there's something about a new leather Bible that I really enjoy smelling it. And with COVID, I haven't been able to smell it yet. So every day I wake up and I go to my closet and I'm like, not yet. It's not yet, Lord. <laughs> so I'm really, I really want to smell this thing. It's like, I don't even know. It's like uh, some kind of dog that died for this Bible. No, I'm kidding. It's goat skin. Uh, but I really, really want to smell it, and I haven't been able to smell it. It's my favorite color. It's blue. Uh, so I'm preaching from, from my new preaching Bible this morning, um, but it is CSB. So if you notice a little difference, it's not my normal KJV preaching Bible. Uh, I like this translation, though. Um, and if you're interested in another one that, that is I think it, the integrity of the word is there. Uh, and then just gives a little bit more clarity. You don't have to explain as much. This is a good one. I recommend it. Um, so anyway, so I'm going to be reading from that this morning uh, if you notice a difference. So Esther chapter 1, take your Bibles and turn to Esther chapter 1 or read it on the screen with me. I'm going to read two verses. I'm going to give some some history, some timeline, just set the stage really for this book. Um, but ultimately today we're going to cover the whole first chapter. Uh, and the whole first chapter gets up to uh, the point when Esther comes into the story. So we won't talk about Esther today specifically. We're going to talk about how Esther came onto the scene. So really chapter one is a, is a perfect chapter to begin this series and to begin this conversation. And I would recommend go read the book, go study it this week and dive into it. It is an unbelievable story, literally. I mean, there's no reason for us not to believe it. There's no reason for us to not think that it was a true story, uh, one that the Lord used as far as like some sort of allegory or whatever. Uh, we believe that this is a true story. It really happened and that the Lord uh, is using it and continuing to use it today in his church like he did in a big way for his people uh, then at, at that time. Esther chapter one, verses one and two. These events took place during the days of Ahasuerus, who ruled 127 provinces from India to Cush. In those days, King Ahasuerus reigned from his royal throne in the fortress at Susa. So we'll stop right there uh, in the fortress of Susa. The Greeks called him Xerxes. So uh, considering when you think about history, and maybe some of you are history fans or history buffs, when you read about this king uh, and his name called Xerxes, it's the same as Ahasuerus. So in the scriptures here, it says Ahasuerus, uh, but we could call him King Xerxes. It's the same uh, historical figure. Um, and he would be the son of King Darius. So starting to position this book of where it lands in the timeline of scripture, how many are familiar with the book of Daniel or the prophet Daniel, uh, that, that uh, Hebrew young man that made such a big deal? We've been talking about his name a lot in the 21 days. Why? Because he had uh, what, what we call the Daniel fast, uh, the way he ate, the way he was particular and positioned himself against the diet of the king, uh, and they went on to do some pretty incredible things. So thinking about the children of Israel being taken into captivity under the Babylonian Empire, uh, that, that king, Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, those kings during that time, this is that same line of people as the Persian and Mede Empire took over uh, the Babylonian Empire, uh, falling uh, under Belteshazzar. This king uh, comes on the stage and we find that he is the son of Darius uh, Xerxes uh, or King Ahasuerus. So those names are going to be interchangeable. I don't know which one I'll use more. Uh, you can get out your tally and count. I'm not sure. Uh, but that guy, son of Darius, thinking about Darius, that king during the time of Daniel. And then remember uh, in our study of Nehemiah how 
uh, Cyrus had, he was moved by the Holy Spirit of God, right, to decree and allow those Jewish people that were in captivity to return back to Jerusalem and for the wall, the temple to be rebuilt under Ezra and then the wall to be rebuilt under Nehemiah. So considering this story, uh, we find it uh, after Darius, so after that time of Daniel, um, but before the time of Nehemiah when he rebuilt. So we have this story taking place in the Persian Empire. So Jews are being allowed uh, to return back to their homeland, but it's uh, post-exile in that period of time. So some are returning back to their homeland, thinking about rebuilding the temple, thinking about rebuilding that wall. And then this this story specifically is pertaining uh, to that Persian Empire and how it relates to the Jews during that time period. So before Nehemiah, which was a great study, and if, if you want to go back and listen, it's on our YouTube channel, uh, shameless plug. Um, so during, before Nehemiah built the wall, uh, and after the time of Daniel and Darius, so that's really where this lands on a, on a timeline. Um, so let's see here, a few more things. So we find that there was a population of Jews uh, there, and this group of Jews will be under attack. God is working his plan providentially caring for his people and making a way when there absolutely seems to be no way. So considering the fact that these, these folks have been taken into captivity, right, uh, they're, they're really operating from under another kingdom, uh, really uh, being uh, oppressed, if you will, um, and then some uh, being allowed to operate and still continue their, their rituals and their law and the way that they worshiped. Uh, but ultimately, it's not like this is, during the king's period where Israel was reigning and this was Israel's kingdom and a king that was like Israel's, not at all, right? They have been placed into captivity. They are burdened. They are um, trying to survive, right? Um, and so from this place, some of those, those Jews have risen to prominence, right? Like Nehemiah did. And so you can see, and it's an incredible thing as we study this book, how the Lord uses everyone involved, all the parties that be, um, to continue the preservation of his people. Uh, We know that the Lord has to maintain the preservation of the children of Israel because who's going to come from that line? Jesus, right? So he promised, he made a promise, a covenant with Abraham. He made a a promise, a covenant with David, right? So not only the people, nation, Israel, uh, the the Abrahamic covenant, but a a kingdom covenant, the Davidic covenant with David that he would come and reign from that line. So this all comes to uh, fruition for us looking in this period, this post-exilic period, watching a people go into captivity, being judged for the way they've acted towards God, the children of Israel, the way they've murmured, the way they've complained, but the Lord using all of those things. The Lord using their disobedience, using lost people in order to continue the work and continue his plan. And if there isn't a better book, I don't, I don't know of a better book to begin 2021, looking into, 2020 is literally hindsight, right? It's literally, we were talking about that yesterday. It's literally passed away, thank God. Um, but we look at all of the crazy things that are happening and we think, Lord, have you lost your plan for the church? Lord, have you lost your plan for our nation? Lord, have you lost the plan for your kingdom? Like this is a book like no other for us to see that when things are chaotic, when things are completely what we think of as being out of God's control, they're not. They're firmly within his grasp. They are firmly within not only his grasp, but his plan. Uh, and so even though a disobedient children of Israel uh, leaving, uh, wanting a king like all the other nations, and then the Lord giving that to them, and them still being disobedient, some of the horrible things they did, the Lord leading them into captivity, judging them, even though through all of those uh, turbulent uh, waters, the Lord still stayed true to his promises. He still stayed true true to the fact that they were his chosen people and he was going to carry them through. The Lord was still uh, uh, born of the tribe of Judah, of that lineage of David, of those people, God's chosen people in Jerusalem. We still celebrated it. Christmas, right? The first advent of the Lord. We know he kept his word, but in order for him to do that, the Lord had to navigate kingdoms of this world uh, that were advancing, the, the satanic forces that tried to remove uh, any, any possibility of the Lord coming from a promised line. Don't you think that the devil knew what was going on? Don't you think he was watching? 
similar to your life. Don't you think he's watching? Don't you think he knows you made a 21-day commitment? Don't you think he, he knows how to tempt? He knows how to move, how to posture, how to position? Well, guess what? So does God. Guess what? The Lord is a better chess player than Satan. And he will always be ahead of him. So, so if there's anything that I want to come into view here as we begin this study of this book is how the Lord is working and moving in the background. In the background. Sometimes the Lord isn't moving and, and from what we can see out in front of everyone. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean he isn't working. Doesn't mean he isn't moving. So we're going to see that as we set the stage here. The opening verses of the book of Esther provide the context, right? In addition to giving us the historical geographical settings, they introduce the character whose decrees uh, really control the entire narrative. So we're going to see this character, King Ahasuerus or Xerxes, which is easier for me to say, King Xerxes. We're going to see how his decrees will control the entire narrative what we think as he is controlling, what we think is him controlling the entire narrative, but that's what we'll see. They also allude to the vast expanse of the great king's domain. Here's a few thoughts from the evangelical exegetical commentary here. Uh, so we, we find here that in Esther, we are introduced to the mightiest king in the world at the height of his glory. Anywhere one looked, his wealth and power were evident. Even the Greeks who hated him more than any man were impressed with his splendor. Yet in the book of Esther, he is only the second power. I love this. His, his word has authority, but there is another word that dictates human affairs, speaks through the mouths of counselors, and gives favor to Jewish maidens, robs the kings of sleep, and inspires terror in the enemy of God's people. In the book of Esther, there is a power that is hidden from human eye that manipulates events in ways that even the world's greatest monarch cannot resist. So for us to look at this story from a Western American perspective would be a miss. Right? We need to take ourselves and put us more in that monarch, that England, that ruler, that sovereign, uh, that Game of Thrones type mentality where there is a king setting on a throne and he is decreeing things. He is sending out law by virtue of his speech and everything ripples from there. So for us to consider uh, social justice and reform and, and things like that from this text would, would be an injustice. Uh, it's not the stage. It's not the setting. It is, there is a queen that fulfills her role to the king, to the sovereign, to the monarch. That is the story that we're, uh, the waters that we're dipping into as we begin to read this book. It is, it is King Xerxes. His word is final. He is making these decrees. He is ruling the land. And that is the perspective that we're seeing. Uh, this province of Susa, there, when, you, when you look at it on a map, you see like four different quadrants, really, that he ruled from. And this one, specifically Susa, was the well-fortified. It was really the, the big walls, the, the flex of, of his army, of his power. So where this is taking place, when we begin to read a little bit more and dive into the story, he's riding from his most, most fortified, strongest place in his kingdom, and he is showing off his might. Uh, listen, human governments are not in themselves bad things, Romans 13, 1 through 7, but their goals are not the same as those of the kingdom of God. And I think that needs to be stated, especially in this political climate. Often they will come into conflict unless we forget the ruler of this world, John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11, holds sway over these earthly powers and can twist them to his own ends. Satan, how many know that he has power to influence the people and the rulers of this world? How many know that? He does. He does have power. And we have to understand that when it comes to the leaders of this world, the prince and power of the air is uh, pushing his agenda. He can twist. Xerxes, for all his glory, is merely a pawn, though, in a contest that stretches far beyond the boundaries of his kingdom. Do not be misled by the pomp and majesty that will be on display here. The real struggle is occurring behind the scenes. 
everything Xerxes is doing, everything this king is trying to show. Look at my vast kingdom. Look from the position of Susa, where I stand, a place, a fortified city. No one can get through. And the Greeks hated him, and they would eventually become in conflict and have battles with them. But what he's doing is a 180-day feast, just putting his power and his kingdom on display. That's how this book begins. This book begins... (laughs) King Xerxes, here I am. Look at, look at my kingdom. Look at my power. But let's not as Christians be distracted. Let's not as Christians be distracted by the incredible majesty of his kingdom and miss the real kingdom that is at play in this story. The real story is behind the scenes. For our struggle, Ephesians 6.12, is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and and the authorities and the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. We do this often in our own life. When we read a story, when we read something that is happening in our life, we become wrapped up in the earthly problems and we forget the spiritual forces that are at play. Don't we do this? 2021, right? We're wrapping that entire year in the context, I hope it's not like last year. Well, what if last year is exactly the way the Lord wanted it to go? Say it ain't so. <laughs> uh-uh. I don't want that. If that's what Christianity is, I'm bailing. We can't do that. We have to look at things through this spiritual lens. So uh, this is just a little a sidebar here. Hold on, I'm going to wet my whistle a little bit. Flavored water. That's it. As we talk about the real force behind the power in the book of Esther, as we talk about, and really it's, it, it climaxes to a key verse in, in Esther chapter 4 where God is mentioned but not directly talked about. So really the whole book is just the, the inference that the Lord is working, the inference that these other characters are doing what the Lord wants them to do, and it's not even directly stated that the Lord is intervening. You just know that he is. I felt it helpful to talk about this for a moment before we jump into the first part of the story here in chapter one. Sometimes we forget. We, we forget what scripture says about God. We forget the power of our God. We forget how our God operates. And if there's any time that we have forgotten, it's now. It's the beginning of this new year. And, and we automatically wrap it in resolutions of what we're going to do. And we forget and we miss the point of, of how God has been operating from the beginning. So as a reminder of the way God operates, as a reminder of how, how the activity of God played out in scripture, I thought I would just give some, some examples here. God is not passive or remote from his creation, but is dynamically involved in all that he has made. Before we read this story and understand the fact that God is going to use these things, we have to first believe that God actually uses things, that God actually moves. You see, if if Christians were to, to reach this place in their heart, in their core of who they are, that God actually is not bound by these circumstances, God is not bound by these years, God is not bound uh, by, by, by a virus or, or by anything that man can create. God is bound by his word and his word expresses how he operates and he operates above all that we think, above all that matters, above all that, that we struggle with. God is over it. He is sovereign. He is ruler. Before we talk about King Xerxes and what he puts on display, understand that every day a Christian can go to the word of God and see what God puts on display and see his splendor and see his majesty and can be in awe of the way God works and moves. And that has never changed. Never. He is the star of the show. He is the star of our lives. He is. His very name reveals it. 
God is not passive. He actively works in nature. He actively works out his purpose. John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father is working and I work hitherto. His name reflects activity and involvement in his people's lives. Think about this. Genesis 22, 14, the Lord will provide. Exodus 15, 26, the Lord who heals you. Exodus 17, 15, the Lord is my banner. Think about it. Just from the titles of his name, Psalm 95, 6, the Lord is our maker. Listen, his word is active. His word is active. Uh, the Hebrew went rendering Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, that word that he is could be translated deed or action. God's word is not merely communication, but it is powerfully active in the world. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light. Ezekiel 37, 4, he said, prophesy concerning these bones. And what? Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What happens three verses later? So I pray. Prophesied, and I commanded while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and those bones came together, bone to bone. Why did those dead bones, why did they rise? Why did they come together? Because of the words of the Lord. God is active in creation, in making the universe. Nehemiah 9, 6, you, Lord, are the only God you created the heavens. Lest we forget that the Lord is the force that created the universe in sustaining, not only in putting this whole thing together, not only in creating what we see, but in its actual uh, center core of holding it together. I love this verse, Colossians 1, 16 through 17, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and are for him. Watch this, he is before all things and he is after all things and he holds all things together. The Lord is not only creating, not only actively telling, he is actively holding. What is, this, what, what is this doing for me right now, pastor? This should be creating a worldview. It should be creating a structure, a narrative, how we view everything, how we view our lives, how we view the world around us. It's not defined by the things. It's defined by the person who is holding it together in bringing about changes in the weather. Job 37, 10 says, ice is formed by the breath of God. In the animal creation, Psalm 147, 9, he provides the animals with their food, the young ravens with what they cry for. Matthew 10, 29, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them falls to the ground without the father's consent. Not only is he actively holding it, he's actively administrating it. God was not only active in the animal kingdom, he was active in Israel's history. Understand that God has been there from the beginning. Exodus 6, 6 through 8, therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out of the land of forced labor in Egypt. God has been narrating their history from the beginning, not just the children of Israel. God is active over all nations. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight. it says, for the kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. God is not only active in the leadership. He is not only active in the nation of Israel, the kings in the world. He's active in your life as well. He determines the course of human lives. Acts 17, 28, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. God is active not only through the life of, of your life, he's active in the life of Jesus. In Jesus' ministry, the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. God is not only active through Jesus, he is also active in the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1, 2, now the earth was what? Without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God, what? Moved upon the face of the waters. Understand that God is not only active through Jesus' ministry. He is not only active through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is also active in the ministry of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, it says, and there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. Man, it, do we understand yet that we have a God of activity? We have a God that moves. We have a God that is in control. We have a God that from the very foundation, his word has built the framework of everything that we know and love and see and move in. Not just us, but the animals. Not just the animals, but the weather. Every app you open on your phone is something that God controls, not something that big tech controls. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
everything that we see, know, and love is something that is under the canopy and under the banner of his name, God. Man, does that not give you some sort of peace? Does that not give you some sort of tranquility in a time of turmoil? I need to take a break. Mm. Yeah. I, I went a little too far with it. Where's my mask? It's a mask and it's a bib. My goodness. I got tea running down my shirt. Hey, let me tell you something. The point is, is that the Lord is active. The Lord is active. I don't think you believe it yet. I don't think you believe it yet. What do you think online? Do you believe it? Do you believe that the Lord is moving and working? God forbid we read this story and we miss the fact because of some king's splendor that God is the real king that's moving and working. The real king that's moving and working. Here's the story. Let's go back. If you have your Bibles, open them up and we'll just kind of like go through scripture. I'm not going to really put it up on the screen because I'm just going to talk through it a little bit. Um, So we've kind of set the stage here. King Ahasuerus is having a hundred, I think it says 180 days. Yeah, verse number four, he displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness for a total of 180 days. That's a party. We think we do it big. On New Year's, he's like, oh yeah, this is gonna be 180 days. We're just getting warmed up. So my man, this king, there's a lot of different things at, at you know, kind of operating and in motion here. A lot of people believe that once again, he was kind of putting a display out there because he was about to go on a conquest against Greece. So the point is, is he is spreading it out, his splendor and his glory. And the whole point here that chapter one is making is look at me, I'm the man. I'm King Xerxes. I do what I want. I send a decree out and, and it happens, right? So that's the kind of the spirit of, of what's happening. I, I just wanna read this with you. Um, so verse number six, white and blue linens hanging were fastened with fine white and purple linen cords to silver rods on marble columns, gold and silver couches. Come on, can you imagine? If anybody would have a gold couch in here, it's Steve. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, a gold couch, come on. We need gold couches, don't we? I mean, my man had a gold couch. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? Uh, we, we see here, uh, their cups too. That was one thing I read historically about this uh, Persian empire. They were big with their, the vessels that they drank from. So they would put a lot of craftsmanship, a ton of money into each glass so that everyone that came and that partied with them would have like a specific goblet to consume. And you're gonna see why here. Um, it says here that, Drinks, verse seven, were served in an array of gold goblets, each with a different design. See, there it is. Royal wine flowed freely according to the king's bounty. So he, he wants everyone to see the picture that all of this is flowing from his wealth. Everything that's happening in this story is happening because he is the man. He holds the keys to the kingdom. And wine is a picture here. Look, look at verse eight. The drinking was according to the royal what? Decree. I want you to see this. I want you to understand. Everything that is happening in these moments, everything that we are reading is happening based on what the king wanted to happen. Everything, okay? Uh, There are no restrictions is his decree. The king had ordered every wine steward in his household to serve whatever each person wanted. Um, so not only is it unlimited, but I mean, can you imagine, shoot, and they had the good stuff. They had the good stuff. All the, the, the cheap drinks were, were for peasantry. This guy had a stash and it was an endless stash. And he said, look, as much as you want to drink, we, we're going to get lit and you're going to see it right here. No restrictions. Queen Vashti, verse nine, also gave a feast for the women of King Ahasuerus' palace. On the seventh day, when the king was feeling good from the wine, I just had to pull up on that for a minute and just be like, it took him seven days to get a kind of buzz that he thought was good. Seven day, I mean, my man was drinking. I mean, he was drinking. He had uh, obviously a pretty high tolerance. He's, it's gonna take me seven days to get there. Bring it, let's go. I mean, seven days this dude's getting trashed on a 180 day feast and watch, look, look, look at it. When he's feeling good from the wine, Ahasuerus commands, Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, these seven guys, seven eunuchs, 
who personally served him, watch this, to bring Queen Vashti before him with her royal crown. He wanted to show her off, all her beauty to the people and the officials because she was very beautiful. Let's stop right there. Remember, everything that's happening at at this moment is because the king what? Wanted it, everything. He decreed it, every little thing. Every person at this party, every person that's watching all the peasantry, the words that are going out to all the kingdoms by design, everyone is knowing that this is happening because I decreed it, because I said it. And then seven days into the party, he's like, feeling real good. How about the most, the fairest maiden in the land? Why doesn't she just put her little royal crown on and come on out here? I just want, I want, I want everybody to know that not only do I have everything, I have everything. I got the prettiest girl in the kingdom too. So think about, think about the moment, right? The buildup. This party's gonna go on for a long time. Let me show you how lucky of a man I am. Everything's happening according to his decree. He sends his seven personal servants, go to the queen's chamber and you tell her she comes out here and she shows everybody how pretty she is. Put that crown on her. Make sure everybody knows her, watch, position in the kingdom. This is about power. This is about power. Look at the next verse. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs. The king became furious and anger burned within him. I love this, just for a little comic relief before we finish the message here. The king consulted with the wise men who understood the times. (laughs) Maybe you don't think it's funny, but I'm like, in that moment when a man has his decrees and he tells his wife what she needs to do and then she doesn't do it, it doesn't say that the, the king ran over and told her what's up. It says that he consulted with his wise men that understood. I mean, how many men feel like we need seven wise men sometimes to communicate with our wives? I mean, am I, am I on an island by myself? He ain't raising his hand. He's only been married a week. You are the wisest man in here. He, he was like, he was like, nope. <laughs> that was funny. So my man pulls up, <laughs> my man pulls up and he says, man, I need some counsel on this. My woman didn't do what I told her to do. What do I do? <laughs> and he's like, I, I don't even know. They understood the situation. And, and how the story unfolds is, the, the wise men basically say it this way. They're like, look, king, the problem here, and I think you understand, it's bigger than your marital issues. The problem is, is that all the other women in the kingdom are gonna be empowered to not do what their husbands want them to do. This is an issue of power. And, and you really see the, the whole point of the story here. It wasn't a man that was upset that his wife didn't do. It was a man that was establishing order in his kingdom and establishing on record the fact that he controlled everything. And the very thing that the, the, I mean, the icing on the cake, he just wanted her to walk in. That's it. Just walk in, endorse it, say that, give, give your blessing on it and get out. And she wouldn't give it to him. And this is a moment when you see the hand of God, a man that literally controlled the entire universe, so to speak couldn't control the heart of his wife. And in this moment, we see how the Lord's power stretches far beyond golden chariots. As a man that thinks he's, take heed. You think you're something, take heed. If you're standing, lest ye what? Fall. The Lord is, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. The Lord, I mean, the Lord was just sitting back going, go ahead, plan your party, 180 days, Seven days in, many people think, like historically, the facts are is that the king, the, the queen should have come in first. Historically in this empire, how they, how they typically did things was the queen came in first, showed her allegiance, gave her stamp of approval. And then when the party started getting crazy, the queen left and went to her chambers and the concubines came in. The women of lesser status came in. Once again, don't think of this through the filter of social, social justice. This is the way that it was. This is how this kingdom operated. The Lord was operating within the way the kingdom operated, right? So consider this. She, through this moment, thought, I'm not gonna be disrespected. If he wanted to display me, he should have displayed me on day one before him and all his cronies got crazy in there. 
Because typically they, you know, the, the concubines were dancers and, and then and then and then. All of those things that happened in, in those courts that should have never happened to begin with. But the point is, is the king got cocky. The king thought, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how it's going to play out and this is what she's going to do. But no man will make a mock at our God. Our God knew exactly what to do at the exact right moment. And all he had to do was harden her heart. And his entire plan came crashing down. Here we find in chapter one, honestly, some principles that we need now more than ever. We need the truths that we'll find here locked within Esther chapter one. We find here that they tell him the, you know, they basically tell her, verse 16, Mimukin said in the presence of the king and his officials, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but all his officials. They tell him to basically have a plan to remove her from her position. And then they're going to go out. Let's see, verse number, look at verse 21. The king and his counselors approved the proposal and he followed the advice. He sent letters to all the royal province, to each province in his own script, in his own, own ethnic language that every man should be the master of his own house and speak in the language of his own people. They basically come up with the plan to remove Vashti from office and to search the whole kingdom to find a young lady who will declare the king to be her master, who will declare the king to be who he said he is, the king. And I think that you can imagine where this young lady is gonna, this young lady is gonna come into the picture. But consider this moment. Sit in this moment. What is the goal here? I want to have a king, I want to have a queen that will obey. He says this seek out a queen that doesn't come from royalty. So she will just be in awe of the king and his majesty and will obey. One thing I find interesting in this story is that it says here, let me see if I can find it. Uh yeah. Verse 18, but before this day is over, if you have your Bibles, look at it. But before this day is over, the noble women of Persia and Media who hear about the queen's act will say the same thing to all the king's officials, resulting in more contempt and fury. What we find is that the queen, Queen Vashti specifically, was from nobility. She was in her position based on who she was, who her family tree was. And then based on the fact that she thought she had a right to be shown on day one and not day seven, she doesn't, right, she doesn't show up. And then the point is, is that this is going to go out that I'm not only going to not choose a queen from nobility, I'm going to choose a queen from really the common man. I'm going to choose someone who is more, and this is where it's going to get interesting, and I don't want to get in too much of it because we're going to talk about it next week. They have this like pretty much this beauty contest like the bachelorette kind of, you know, it's like right here in the text. Um, so really he basically says, look, the, the point here is I need control. If the design is to have a woman of nobility, that's great. But if the woman of nobility doesn't give the kingdom what the kingdom needs, then the kingdom is gonna find someone else and he decrees it. He sends it out to the far corners of the world, right? To the far corners of the province. And this is that moment where we see the shift and we'll talk about the, the beauty pageant uh, next week, which is going to be really, really good. Um, I'm sure Brooke, tune in, Brooke, online uh, and, and, and watch The Bachelorette in scripture form. But I want to point out a few things here, things that we should not miss, things that I believe will set the stage not only for this series, but for our year. Things that will govern and dictate the way that we approach these things that are happening in our lives. I mean, let's be honest. Has there been a moment in your life, maybe even this year, where you had it all planned? I mean, the 180 days, the party, not on the same level, but you, you knew how it was supposed to play out. And then guess what? Everything changed. A virus, the loss of a job, the loss of a family member. One, one member, probably, I think he's watching, one member, a heart attack or stroke, whichever one. Yeah. One day you're healthy, the next day you're not. This king thought he had it all in the bag. And I'm glad that he didn't 
and we'll see that as the story plays out. But, but, but don't miss, as the Lord sets the stage here, don't miss the truth. The first thing I want to tell you is this. God works through disobedience and rebellion. God works. This may rub some of you the wrong way. But I want to tell you that God works through disobedience and rebellion. Many of you think that, and maybe I'll change kind of the way that you're perceiving things that are happening. Many think that because it's wrong, because that disobedience and rebellion was involved, God couldn't be anywhere near that. Is that how this story is playing out? Is that how the story of Esther is shaping up? How did Esther get into her position to begin with? Through disobedience and rebellion. Some of you, this may be the hope that you need as a parent. (laughs) You're maybe dealing with disobedience and rebellion in a child's life or in a relationship or at work. How do you deal with injustice in general? How do you deal with these situations that seem filthy and dirty and And it's just not working out the way that it should. Understand that God works through those situations. We can't can't just take what we want out of the word of God and say, yeah, that's a good verse. All things work together for good. But in order for that to actually be the case, we have to believe it's all things. We have to believe that God is greater than that disobedience. God is greater than that situation. And maybe when the table is turned and we're the king and we're decreeing and we're setting all these things in order in our lives, understand the application is also for you that when something doesn't go right, when something disobedience or a problem or, or, or God forbid anything enters into your marriage or your relationships, know that God can work through that. Know that God is going to use that. He uses disobedience and rebellion. Here's the other thing. God uses circumstances of the lost to preserve the future for his saints. This is another like big, like deep issue here. God, God positions people according to his saints, which this should give us, this should bring so much weight to our relationship with the Lord. So much weight. You don't understand like what the, none of us do. We don't understand the full depth of God's love toward his saints. God is willing to do anything to preserve the lives of his saints. I mean, if that's not evident in this story, I don't know what is. So beyond the fact that when disobedience and rebellion and things happen in the, in the world, know that God will work through those things, but, but ultimately God is gonna work through those things to save the saints, to work the plan of redemption in our lives. So understand that his affection is towards you, it is for you, and that the Lord will not stop at anything to see you come through on the other side. I think about this, no one can pluck you out of the hand of God. No one. Your place is secure. We find security here in the one who is working in the midst of this story beyond, I mean, think about it. All that that king had, King Xerxes, all that he was displaying, knowing that one of his decrees, I'm getting ahead of myself, one of the decrees that this man, this king would put out would end the life of every Jew in his kingdom. Ultimately, ultimately the Lord is able to thwart that and use the same man to change the circumstances. What what, What does this weight have for us? What does it mean for us? It means that the Lord loves those that are his. And that if the Lord loves the world, that we should love others. And that our attitude and our response towards the lost should be the same as the Lord's. I, I mean, if we truly understand who we are and what the gospel message is, and that we're not here because of us, but because of who he is, then we will love our neighbor. We will see everyone on the other side of that as someone that God is willing to save. And I, I've seen people put this backwards, right? I've seen this produce arrogance in Christians where they think they're better than the lost where they think that God somehow loves them and chose them and did not choose other people. That couldn't be anything further from the truth. 
because we, we read that not only God's plan for Israel, not only was God's plan for Israel, but God's plan went to what? All the nations, every tribe, every tongue. So let's stay right here. God's, God works through disobedience and rebellion. God uses the circumstances of the lost to preserve the future for his saints. God's end ultimate goal, end ultimate goal is to redeem this world for his glory. All of that was just kind of like free, I guess, but here's two things I wanna send you with, okay? Number one, you don't have to explain the details, but you should trust the God of the details. I don't wanna leave you on a, on a note of, of this tension in this story. I mean, it's, it's real, right? I mean, like we ended chapter one, the rug got pulled out from under the king. And he's like, I gotta get me a new queen. That's where we're at in the story. But I don't want you to leave without the lessons from chapter one that are real and evident. And the first thing is this, you don't have to explain the details, but you should trust the God of the details. I wrote this down. The king's pride, the king's desires, the king's preservation and the king's plan were all at play. Do you see that? They were all at play but ultimately, the Lord is the one who had his way. I think, I think more Christians right now are, are concerned with explaining every detail of the times. Let me show you this, let me show you this chapter and verse of what's happening right now. Let me show you why we need this president. Let me show you why it shouldn't be this person in power. Let me tell you how if America doesn't do this, everything's going to end. In this moment, we are more concerned with the details than the God of the details. How do we end chapter one? This is an incredible moment of tension. The king didn't get his way. I mean, 180 days. I mean, more wine than anybody can drink at one sitting. This is incredible. And then... She didn't come out. She, she said, no. Guys, let's huddle. In that moment, as a Christian, in that moment, listen, no one knew the weight. No one knew. No one knew how weighty this was going to be. This is exactly how God wanted it to play out. This is exactly what needed to happen. That woman needed to stay in that chamber. Lord knows, don't let her out. If they understood three decrees later in the text, everyone's going to be terrified. But, but that is the point of the story, is that the God of the details was working it out. But oh my goodness, Christians, if it is in 2021, it is now that we are so focused on the details that we're missing the God of the details. We're trying to define every chapter and verse of how this prophetically fits in line and God is like, stop. I've been doing this for 2,000 years. I'm bringing all tribes, all tongues to myself. Just worry about what I gave you to worry about. And that is the church. That is the gospel. That is the message. Don't worry about all the other methods. In other words, stop trying to define the details and remember that God is in control of them all. Don't miss that. Don't, you don't have to explain it. If we would have more Christians stop trying to explain everything that's happening and just say, I'm trusting that the Lord is gonna work this out. I'm trusting that the Lord is gonna bring his will to pass. Like you don't have to have, you don't have to win the internet for the day with the perfect copy and paste. Like we're focused on the wrong thing. If I knew in hindsight, 2020, right, right now, if I knew this at the beginning of the year, I would have done a lot of things different. That's all of us. Same, <laughs> no one knew how this was gonna play out, not even the king. That's the point, church. You don't have to explain the details. You just have to trust the God of the details online, in here. Listen to me. Stop trying to explain the details. Just stop. God is in control. Well, pastor, you're just saying that because you just don't know. <laughs> I know. Lord gave me word of knowledge, wisdom. I don't know. I read this book, this one book. It tells the whole thing how it all works out. Okay, that one book. I'm sure it tells it all. We would do well just to trust the Lord 
and not get lost in the minutia. Here's the last thing. Our focus should be more on our spirit and spiritual condition than our future earthly position. At this moment, I can't help but think, because ah, I've read the whole book, but I've read the whole thing. There's a Jewish girl somewhere obeying her uncle. She's an orphan. She's an orphan girl. She lost her family. And thank God, a faithful man took her in and began to raise her. And she was doing what she was supposed to do day in, day out. She was being prepared for such a time as this. She was being uh, tutored and, and she was being loved and walked through the word. This young lady that we're gonna meet soon, she was focused more on her spiritual condition than she was her earthly position. And then when God brought her to the place of earthly position, she was ready. I think about all of us in our church right now in this moment, we're fasting, some of us, it's a new year, we have all these thoughts, all these things pouring into us, listen, shut all the voices off and focus on in, in here. Your spiritual position is way more important than your earthly position. This young lady is gonna change the course for millions of people because she was focused on doing what she was supposed to be doing. Listen to this. When this happens, what? When our spiritual condition is more important than our earthly position, when this happens, you will not allow your earthly position to change your spiritual condition, but rather you will bring to the earthly place the heavenly posture that is needed. You will bring, you will bring the heavenly posture that's needed to this earthly place. You know what we need in 2021? A heavenly posture. We need to not worry so much about the details as we do the God of the details. This is an incredible story, an incredible story with incredible power. What's the focus? Where do, I mean, where do we even put our thoughts here? Well, we put our thoughts towards this, that it didn't go the way the king thought it was gonna go because there was a greater king at work. This week, listen, there's a greater king. If I went one by one, all the way through the pews, one by one online, through each one of your, each one of the viewers, I'm telling you this, there's a greater king at work in your life. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you think you're gonna face right now, listen, there's a greater king at work. Let's focus on the spiritual place in our hearts that taps into that greater purpose rather than all the other minutiae 